Welcome to BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway, where we talk about everything and no subject is left unturned, untouched, and unnoticed. And we will cover and talk about everything. As I like to think, there are elements of me that represent everybody. What you hear, do your own research to fact check us and then apply accordingly. What that means is no one is ever completely right. And when you bring your own brain, you are in the best position possible to think for yourself. We're on five days a week, wherever you find your podcast, and you can reach us via our Facebook page. So please leave us a comment, a review, a critique, and a shout out. And if by chance there are topics you'd like to have discussed or questions you want referenced on a particular show, drop us an email at WKIR100 at gmail.com. That's WKIR100 for We Keep It Real and 100 at gmail.com. Today, this is the episode where we introduce what I call the world at large. And I started on the world at large last week. We were talking about the First Amendment and what it means from a standpoint of how it has shifted the landscape for activism in this country. I don't want to rehash that, but I think it's worth reiterating that the construct for social activism has been defined and redefined by the scope of how social media platforms are interpreted. We spoke last week about how a lot of what's happened to us in the context of Black Lives Matter, for instance, isn't necessarily new. We went back to 1955, and three significant things happened in 1955. Reverend George Lee from Belzoni, Mississippi, he was the first uh, president of the NAACP chapter, of an NAACP chapter down there was shot and killed by white locals because he was recruiting or registering African-Americans to vote. Also in 1955, it is well documented, the death of Emmett Till. Not going to rehash that. In 1955, Rosa Parks, the Montgomery bus boycott. Not going to rehash that. All of that in 1955. What else was significant about 1955? It was the last year of a recorded lynching in the United States of America. I'm gonna repeat that. It was the last year of a recorded lynching in the United States of America. Fast forward 66 years, so much has happened. But everybody has smartphones and we need your reaction to things as though it is brand new to our consciousness and we're so offended. But the reality is we have been or have become a twofold society in that we've become encumbered, albeit voluntarily, by the construct that is social media. And at the same time, limited in how we've used what we believe we can't live without. 
I personally have been left with the understanding that being knee-jerk reactional to things has become what we've reduced ourselves to. And in the insight of a moment, a George Floyd type of moment, we fail to see the forest for the trees. And what I tried to convey in my first amendment preamble was that if we allow other entities, i.e. the government, to determine not only how free speech is managed and what it is, but when and where the parameters of free speech utilization are structured, we will lose control of our ability to fully utilize the voice that we have. Now, I want to throw some numbers at you. I'm a statistical kind of guy. I love numbers. Um, I love sports. So sports is about numbers. Baseball, for instance, about numbers. Not so much in basketball, not so much in uh, football, but baseball is about numbers. I like numbers across the board. Here's some numbers for you to consider. According to Statista.com, as of 2020, it's a big number, here it comes, there are 3.7 billion people using social media worldwide. With that number expected to jump to over 4 billion by 2023, that's just in about 16 months. Imagine 4 billion on social media or on social media platforms or using some form of social media. Now imagine, if you will, for a second, the voice that just 10% of that number would produce. 400 million strong. 400 million people with a direction and with a purpose that would make the Montgomery bus boycott look like a footnote in historical context. Now, keeping that in a perspective of reality that's clearer than a matrix resurrection, getting 400 million people to do anything that's not related to TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and galvanize for a singular message is a bit challenging. But honestly, I'd settle for more of a direction that isn't as a result of a knee-jerk reaction to something as though we've never seen it before, which is generally what happens. George Floyd, while tragic, we acted as though we had never seen that before. Breonna Taylor, while tragic, we acted as though we hadn't seen it before. When you can go back to Emmett Till and say, yes, we've been down this road before. And here's a news flash. As long as we appear directionless, it leaves someone else, i.e. the government, to determine the direction for us. That's huge. If we appear as though we don't have a direction, 
someone that thinks they know better about the direction and about what's best for us as it appeals or pertains to the direction will determine the direction for us. And then what happens? We'll complain because someone else is in, quote, control, end quote. And honestly, from the governmental perspective, and we're going to talk in great deal uh, in detail about this, and I can tell you now, this is going to be a part one, because there's no way I'm going to get through all of what I have in terms of information and, and research that I've compiled and reading I've been doing. So this is going to be an ongoing thing as we address the First Amendment, governmental control of it, and some of the things that are happening as a result of the ambiguities of the First Amendment. And honestly, as I was saying, it's a bit of an oxymoron. Because consider this, the government wants to control the engagement. Think about that. But COVID has produced the need for the engagement. But that only allows more and more of a governmental cloud of control of how it's used, when it's used, and why it's used. The government will be the first to tell you, and we're going to talk about this later in this episode and in future episodes, they will tell you that engagement is necessary. Quote, necessary, end quote. I need to really put that word out there. Because what defines necessary, it's a need. The government will say, we can't be the government without this. That's what defines a need. You don't live unless you breathe. So therefore, breathing is necessary. But for the scoped definition of democracy, they'll tell you that the engagement is necessary. But again, like the First Amendment says, you can, quote, peaceably assemble, end quote, they can also tell you how long you can assemble, which means you are under control. The liberties of the First Amendment aren't as broad as one would suggest. And while it may appear that the government is at odds with some of the people on social media, and that different things can be used within the context of social media to disagree, perish the thought, with government, with nearly 4 billion people in the world on social media platforms and profiles, it behooves the government to literally say, if you can't beat them, subtly control them. <laughs> this, in my opinion, falls directly in line to the theory that is subscribed in George Orwell's novel, 1984. As I'm doing this study and I'm reading and I'm compiling information and my brain is going in hyperdrive, I thought of Big Brother. And he references that in the very first chapter when he says it was one of those pictures, I'm trying to remember the, the exact quote, it was one of those pictures which are so contrived that the eyes follow you about when you move. Big brother is watching you. There it is. That, that was huge. That line jumped out to me. Now, for those that don't understand or haven't heard of the novel, it is political satire. I, I can't really say it any plainer than that. 
is political satire. And Big Brother in this story is the supreme ruler or a supreme ruler of a totalitarian state. Total, totalitarian state, I said it wrong. Totalitarian state. I knew it came out of my mouth, it was wrong. That has as its sole objective ruling over people. Period. What did I say just 45 seconds ago? The government will say, if we can't beat you, we'll subtly control you. They took the old phrase, if you can't beat them, join them. I call that the Kevin Durant phrase. He couldn't beat Golden State, so he joined them. The government says, if we can't beat you, we'll subtly control you. Meaning they go from overt oppression to subtle oppression. When Barack Obama, I'm going to digress for a second, when Barack Obama became president, a significant majority of African Americans decided that oppression would be a thing of the past. Why? We had a black president. But what they failed to realize, A, he wasn't going to be president forever. And B, he wasn't the president just for black America. He was the president of the United States of America. But going back to the first point, when he leaves office, now there's going to be the construct that says, now that he's out, we can kind of revert back to how we really feel. And while there was ambiguity along those lines, along comes a person who isn't encumbered by what people think and says, I'm going to speak my mind and enable the environment for everybody else to speak their, speak their mind as well. What it did, it released the return of social inequality in the minds of people. Social inequality, i.e. racism. It released prejudice back into the mainstream. For all those that put it away for eight years, who were scared to speak their minds, now had a, quote, commander-in-chief, end quote, who was empowered to the fullness of his own definition of free speech and therefore enabled everybody else. And what I said was, we've gone from outright oppression, which was pre-Obama, to subtle oppression, which was during Obama, to outright bigotry, prejudice, and oppression post-Obama. So the government, in this case, as I'm talking about the First Amendment, has gone from, we want to control you, but we don't want you to think we're controlling you. Or better yet, they wanted to control you from the rip. They wanted to be the big bad elephant in the room and not try to hide and let you know we're the government, we're bigger than you, and we'll do whatever we want to but we want your vote in November. We want your vote in the midterms. We want your vote in the spring primary. And we are serving you. We are your people, the constituents. We work for you. That's code. What they really want to do is control you. But now we as a people, we're be, we have become so informationally uh, pristine 
we have become savvy in how we have acquired information. So now we see what the government's up to. So what does the government do? They don't say, well, now that they're on to us, let's really work for the people because trying to control them isn't going to work. No, 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 no. What they're saying now is they're on to us, but we're not shifting our objective. We're still going to control them. We're just going to find a different way to do it. It's very Big Brother-ish. It's very 1984-ish. Speaking of the novel by George Orwell. But here's the thing. The government can't overtly rule over people in such a way that it's so blatantly obvious. And we just talked about that. They can't really do that anymore. It's 2021. Everybody's got a smartphone. Everybody's doing their thing. You can't do that anymore. But what they can do And what they have been doing is they will use the tools that we believe we can't live without. And they'll use those tools against us without our even knowing it. Think about that for a second. The principle of social media is to provide an outlet to the world that enables us to show that same world the best version of ourselves. Listen, that's going to become a theme as we talk about this trend I'm seeing. And again, I want to reiterate the principal idea, the principal construct, the principal parameter of social media is to provide an outlet to the world that enables us to show that same world, the best version of ourselves. Notice I didn't say the real version, the best version. And again, we're going to come back to that. But listen, even as we would define, and in spite of the lack of accuracy that that version may contain, we'll still present it. Why? Because social media gives us a, quote, voice, end quote. And it also gives us perspective. And who is to say my perspective of how I see myself is wrong? It's my perspective. Now, The government, coming up on a break, but I still got some time. The government uses social media for the same purpose. To show the best version of themselves. Now think about that for a second. The government uses the tool that you believe you can't live without, but they use the tool to do for you what you want to do for someone else. And that is show the best version of yourself. So the government wants to do this, real or not, fake or not, true or false. They want to show that best version to the entire world. No other country like the United States of America believes in its own superiority like the United States of America. If you don't believe me, watch Afghanistan. Or, here's the thing, Google Afghanistan. The United States is all intertwined in that. The United States believes it is the police to the entire world, that it will put its nose in everybody's business for the sake of peace. Why? Because the United States of America has convinced itself that that is the best version of itself. 
Now consider this. I could stay on that point, but I need I need to move on. Consider this. The State Department uses social media to spread the influence of the United States foreign policy. Now we just got through mentioning Afghanistan. So these social uh, media platforms are being used again by the State Department to spread the influence and the best face, the best side of the United States foreign policy. Remember, it's the best version, not the truest one. The Department of Justice uses social media to improve, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Governmental transparency and to increase the availability of services and information. Now that, I want you to think, uh, visualize in your mind uh, uh, a staircase. Top of the staircase is the United States government, the federal component of bureaucracy. Let's go down. States. States within that same governmental structure do the same thing with social media. The state of Maine the Office of Information and Technology, they use Twitter to post creative ads for job openings. State of Colorado actively recruits on Twitter. The state of Vermont actively recruits for their IT department using Twitter. Let's keep trickling this down. Cities are using it. Austin, Texas, uh, the Police Athletic League there, their Instagram account actively showcases the program's youth outreach. But when we come back from the break, I want to point out a very crystal clear fact that not all cities are using it for causes that are positively overt obvious and practical and and I'm gonna be honest with you to even think that all were using it for those things was suspect to begin with we'll be right back BYOB the bring your own brain podcast is brought to you by the nation of Christ Life Center where Tony Calloway yours truly is the founder and pastor And while we are not having in-person Sunday services at the moment, we are indeed having life study every Wednesday at 6 p.m. at Lakeview Park, unless otherwise noted, in the bustling metropolis known as Port Clinton, Ohio, where we worship on the lake. So if you are anywhere in the 43452 area code and vicinity, Anywhere in the Ottawa County, Ottawa, Ottawa County area, you are more than welcome to come and hang out with us at the Nation of Christ Life Center. Our life study every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. at Lakeview Park. We're back with the BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway. And before we had that first sponsor break, we were talking about cities. 
that were doing positive things, states that were doing positive things, elements of the government that were doing progressively positive things on social media or by using social media to present and promote their best side. (sighs) There are cities (laughs) that aren't as good. And that brings us to the city of Los Angeles, California. I've been to LA twice in my life. Um, And they are bigger now than my last visit population of nearly 3.9 million people. It is the nation's second largest city behind New York. It is the third largest city in North America, which includes Canada and Mexico, with New York being, again, first, Mexico City, second, Los Angeles, third. And while all of that is true, Los Angeles has a notoriety all to itself in the three categories of the good, the bad, and the ugly. We can call the good things like the weather. Now, I've been to California. I've, been, I've only been to L.A. twice, but I've been to San Diego uh, about a half dozen times. It is, of all the places that I've been in the United States of America, San Diego is in my all-time top five. Uh, Tampa, Florida is my number one. Uh, Myrtle Beach is in my top five. Uh, Key West is in my top five. San Diego's in my top five. And I love New York City. Uh, it's in my top five. Notice I didn't give an order. But Tampa is number one, and San Diego is in my top five. Uh, and I mentioned some other cities. But having said all that, L.A., which is not far from San Diego, great weather. That was the first thing that sold me on San Diego when I went was the weather. Even though it rained, three or four days of my seven-day visit. Still beautiful. All my other visits were perfect. It's got the L.A. Dodgers, of whom I'm a fan. They're my number three team. If the Yankees aren't playing and the Cubs aren't playing, I'll root for the Dodgers. The Rams, who we have talked on our Monday sports podcast, we have talked about the fact that I believe the Rams are a Super Bowl contender. And that stadium, SoFi Stadium, is one of the most beautiful stadiums I've ever seen. Uh, watched that game Monday, uh, Sunday night, rather, when they played the Bears. Beautiful stadium. L.A. has Hollywood. It has the Walk of Fame. It has all of that. It's got the Staples Center. It's got the Lakers. It's got the Clippers. It's got the Chargers now. Those are all the good things about L.A. Now, the bad traffic, overpopulated areas, gang affiliations. I don't even want to dwell on the bad. The ugly 
I can leave this to one specific area, the LAPD. Now, I just want to go back 100 years. The Los Angeles Police Department in the last 100 years have had its share of ugly moments, some of which are not in elements of notoriety, but they're just notorious. Going back 100 years, in the 1920, there was an allegation that its own chief of police was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, and that was actually a side note as he was routinely found intoxicated in the company of prostitutes. He lasted 16 months on the job and got fired by the mayor. And, and on a side note, speaking of Ku Klux Klan, this just, just hit me, and I, I wrote it down as a side note. It was and had been widely reported that the Anaheim, California City Council, and the reason I bring up Anaheim, it's just 27 miles to the southeast of LA. It's about an hour drive and you throw in traffic. But in terms of mileage, it's just 27 miles to the southeast. It's widely reported that the entire city council of Anaheim, this is also in the, in the 1920s, was composed entirely of the Ku Klux Klan. Think about that. Now, the LAPD and surrounding areas, that, that's a whole other podcast we'll, we might get to down the road. But the LAPD and surrounding areas, which we'll throw Anaheim in there, has had its share of challenges and has always been in the forefront of trying to figure out ways to handle crowds, circumvent the law, and polarize its own authority in the eyes of the people it's supposed to protect and serve. Somewhere down the road, I want to do a podcast on the world at large, and I want to talk about what protect and serve meant, what it means now, and what it will mean if we don't change the dialogue and how we approach the dialogue. But for the second time and to stay on point, all of which, the handling of the crowds, the circumventing of the law, and the polarization of its own authority from the era of the 20s and prohibition, past the 50s and 60s, when it was fashionable to be the police chief and be a racist. And if you don't believe that, do your homework, do your research, fact check me. William H. Parker served as the LAPD police chief for 16 years and was a documented racist. And after he died, he had a building named after him. And I do this in every episode, hashtag make that make sense. Let's keep going. Past the 70s and 80s, when racial profiling was the norm and not the exception. Past the 90s, 
and Rodney King, the L.A. riots, the Rampart scandal. Let's bum rush our way into the new millennium. Let's zoom into 2012, if you will. Three subsequent incidents, back to back to back, one in July, two in August. And one of them, Alicia Thomas, died in police custody. Remember, I said it last week. This is nothing new. I told you George Floyd was nothing new. Alicia Thomas, who it was later found out she was bipolar, but it didn't explain the trauma to her body and the fact that she was beaten while in handcuffs in a police car. This is nothing new. And now as we are into the second decade of the new millennium, as the LAPD addresses and tries to handle the weight and the pressure of serving the second largest population in the United States and do so with the baggage of its own reputation. It makes perfect sense, therefore, in some alternative universal reality sense of the word that the LAPD would engage in an effort to, quote, level the playing field. End quote. I was talking with my wife earlier and getting back to that baggage of its own reputation. The two things, as I'm doing my notes and doing my research, two names came to mind. One was Ron Artest. Uh, my wife and I had just watched a Netflix special um, that documented the malice at the palace. For those that don't know, and the year escapes me, it's post Jordan. Uh, it's at the back end. I want to say it's the last year of Reggie Miller's career. So I want to say it had to be 2000, 2001, maybe. Uh, it might have been 99. It's post-Jordan. I want to say it was 99. It was before that Laker run. I could be wrong, but it's somewhere in that time frame. The, the Pacers were great. And the fight broke out in Detroit between the Pistons and the Pacers. And now that I think about it, I want to say it was 2004 because it was at the back end of Shaq and Kobe's three-peat because the Pistons won the title. Ron Artest, as I told my wife this earlier, I said Ron Artest was Dennis Rodman before Dennis Rodman started dyeing his hair. Dennis Rodman is run our test on steroids. Point being, their reputation preceded them whenever they stepped on the court. After the malice at the palace, Ron Artest, whew, if he looked at the person he was guarding wrong, he got a technical. Whereas Reggie Miller could commit a hard foul and it'd just be a hard foul. Dennis Rodman was the same way. Why did this happen? Because their reputation preceded them. They were never going to get a break. The LAPD is no different. Their reputation, as we just documented, a hundred years worth of reputation precedes them. So it would make sense. It would be most practical to assume that the LAPD would attempt to level the playing field. This is where you enter 
an organization called Media Sonar. Media Sonar is a company that, based on its own information on its own website, is a company that is, quote, dedicated to transforming the world's information into insights that make a positive difference. Again, according to their own website, they, quote, leverage the latest technological innovations and is released to the public safety and corporate security markets on the foundation of freedom, safety, and security for all. As I was reading and looking at their website, the word freedom really hit me because the First Amendment is supposed to be about freedom. Bookmark that. We're going to come back to that. Because that word, it should have universal meaning. Uh, meaning. But more and more, and because of the ambiguities of how we've approached not just the First Amendment, but the entire United States Constitution, it's more and more a meaning that is left to interpretation by the one providing the freedom, not the one that's supposed to be enjoying it. And I, I really want to reiterate that. What's provided for us in the United States Constitution should be for us to enjoy. I shouldn't leave it to the person that wrote the Constitution to interpret it for me in a time that they're no longer in. And the general interpretation should not be left to someone that wrote it simply because they wrote it. That would be like if my wife served me and all her children, all of my children, the same dish, she can interpret for us whether or not we all like it or not. Well, that's next to impossible. My daughter has finicky tastes. My wife's daughter has finicky tastes. Now, the boys, she has two boys. I have one. They'll eat anything, just about, if it tastes good. And they'll let you know it tastes good. But to get everybody to not only enjoy it the same way, eat it the same way, have the same reaction to it, not going to happen. The government does that with the interpretation of that word freedom. And because so many elements of the Constitution are ambiguous at best, the interpretation of it all is left to the ones that are really wanting to provide and define control, overt or subtle, instead of those of us that should be enjoying it Period. Let me get back to media sonar. They're in the intelligence and information gathering business. Plain and simple. And that business is built on monitoring people. Remember, in the very beginning, we talked about George Orwell in 1984. Here's a reality. Big Brother is watching. And you know what's scary? People like Mark Zuckerberg have opened the window 
for Big Brother to watch. Think about that for a second. Media Sonar has the ability to generate profile information for people, for assets, for companies with just one click. They can generate the ability to manage and decipher information such as a username, an email, a phone number, a domain address, an IP address, credit card, and probably a whole lot more. But for me, this part gets a little unnerving. When I, when I began to think about it, and I was like, what, had a wow moment. They can build, keyword, build, and then track a digital investigative path and then create connecting parallels within multiple paths. Again, the keyword is build. And again, something that's built is subject to the interpretation of the one building it. That's interesting. And that's somewhat scary because that means it's out of my control. That means not only are forces watching me, they're determining an agenda based on what they see. And that may not always be the full definition of who I am. You're looking at me in one scope. You're looking at me, you're looking at me in one perspective. The beautiful thing about perspective is there's so many things to see in perspective that one person may see it one way, one person may see it another. Let's get back to media sonar. We're up against a break. They've been in business since 2013. And honestly, I'm not mad at them for being in business. Look, hey, you, you, you had a concept, do your thing. They sound, truthfully, uh, ideal as a tool for the NSA, the CIA, or the FBI if those three agencies didn't already have those tools to begin with. And here's the thing. And my wife, I said this to my wife, and as it came out of my mouth, I was like, wow. They have privatized the ability to spy on us. Media Sonar is a private entity selling the ability to spy on people. And again, idiots like Mark Zuckerberg have crafted this window, a portal, a door that makes it accessible and in no violation of the First Amendment. Or is it? Let's get back to media song. Because here's where I had another wow moment. In 2018, media sonar started pursuing the LAPD. Now, I want you to think about how that sounds for a second. You would think the LAPD, remember I said earlier, you would think they'd want to circumvent the, uh, the the guidelines or the parameters so they could level the playing field. You'd think they would seek it out. No, media sonar sought them out. In 2018, started sending pricing proposals, 
so that they would use their services and help continue an agenda that has seen the LAPD use social media as an infringement on the First Amendment. They pursued them for three years. Imagine somebody chasing you down for three years. Eventually, you'll just give in. You can tell them no all you want, but they're persistent. You'll give in. And then, sure enough, 2021, this year, the LAPD gave in and purchased media sonar licenses in 2021, just this year. When we come back from our second sponsor break, uh, I want to really, really, really close talking about where I'm at in all of this and some of the connections I'm making just based on information and where we're going to go from there. We'll be right back. BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway. BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast is brought to you by Clean Design, LLC, a residential and commercial cleaning company servicing the greater Ottawa County area of Ohio. They clean it to your design. And they also provide off-season home management for those that are looking to get away from the harsh North Coast winters and want to feel safe about their homes in the process. You can find them on Facebook, and I encourage you to check them out. They're a small business, and I am big about uh, supporting small businesses. So check out Clean Design LLC, where they clean it to your design. We're back on the BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway. And we're talking about, on today's uh, podcast, the world at large, we're, we're really, really talking about uh, should social media platforms be protected by the First Amendment? And before I get to this last segment, uh, I, I, I do have an opinion about it. Um, what makes it challenging is Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some other fringe social media platforms that Mark Zuckerberg hasn't bought and purchased yet. Uh, there's the open web, the dark web, the deep web. All of these uh, social media platforms are privately owned. They have made themselves more powerful than the United States Constitution. Think about that for a second. They have made them more powerful than the United States Constitution. Why? Because they're private companies. And they have determined that their own terms and conditions are greater than the United States Constitution, which is the document that enables them to be a business in the first place, to have the freedom to create in the first place. So we are now and have been for quite some time in very ambiguous water. I repeat that. We are now and have been for quite some time in very ambiguous water. Now, I could do a whole series on the outdatedness of the United States Constitution. I really, really could. Because the truth of the matter is, we are trying to determine parameters within a construct of 2021 
based on a document that is ancient. I won't even dignify it with a, a year. It's ancient. It's outdated. One of the things I talk about in my life coaching is you cannot continue to wear an outfit that doesn't fit you. And you can't keep it in your closet hoping that you'll wear it again. And it's not that I don't believe you'll wear it again. It's that when you do get to the point and you do wear it again or are able to wear it again, do you really have the mindset or the belief that it's in style? Make that make sense. Because if it's not in style, why would you wear it? The United States Constitution, in my opinion, is that kind of document. We're being forced to wear it. It doesn't fit. For some, it's a coat two sizes too small. For some, it's a coat three sizes too big. For some, it's a color that doesn't match the hue of our skin. And for some, we just don't look good in it trying to hold our stomach in to keep buttons from popping. You can only hold your stomach in for so long, and believe me, I know that for a fact. So the whole element of the United States Constitution and social media confines or platforms and how those two fit together is a legitimate question. It should be a legitimate concern. And in my research, especially as I came across this media sonar, LAPD growing relationship, I came across the Brennan Center for Justice and Mary Pat Dwyer, who is affiliated with the Brennan Center for Justice, said this, and I quote, the Los Angeles Police Department authorizes its officers to engage in extensive surveillance of social media without internal monitoring of the nature of or the nature or effectiveness of the searches. End quote. Let me break that down. The LAPD has told its officers that you can surveil people on social media, you don't have to report back to us. You don't even have to tell me that the surveillance is effective. Just go do it. Now imagine those that are listening to me, you have kids. You told your kids, I need you to clean your room. And then you tell them, I'm not going to tell you how to clean it. I'm not going to come back and check. Just clean it. And then you leave. First of all, the kid's not going to clean the room. Or, here's another one. Then this is a better one. Scratch that last one. Here's a better one. You can take the car and go do whatever you want to do. Normally, we say, put gas in it. We say, be careful. Don't drive this far. Be back at this time. No, just take the car and go. Go wherever. Do whatever. I don't care. You ain't got to tell me where you went when you came back. If it's got dents in the front fender, I'm not going to ask you why it has dents in the front fender. 
This is the equivalent, the anecdotal equivalent to what media sonar has enabled the LAPD to do. The LAPD has actively, repeat that word, actively been engaged in the creation of fake profiles for surveillance purposes. And while it's reported that they're engaged in such for the deterrence of crime and crime-related activity, without any internal monitoring or any way, any way to gauge the effectiveness of such, how does anybody know who they're checking on and who would be checking the ones that are doing the checking? There's a movie of uh, The Enemy of the State, Regina King, Will Smith, Lisa Bonet, Gene Hackman. Uh, and Regina King is married to Will Smith and they're, they're talking about, it's funny because that movie is about surveillance and who's watching who. And she made the comment, well, who's monitoring the monitoring monitors? This is no different. And what's more troubling is that few limitations exist to offset this broadly interpreted authority. Let me make it clear. Officers do not need to document the searches they conduct. They don't need to document the purpose of the search. And, and this one, this, this last one really just almost knocked me out of my seat. It was my wow moment number three. They don't need to document the justification of it. And why? Because there's no supervisory approval needed. Think about that. If you don't have a boss to report to, then why am I writing down a report? Why do I have to justify it? You said go do it. They're literally doing it by any means necessary, by any means, legal or illegal. And when you break it all down, what it means is the LAPD doesn't need a reason to spy on its 3.9 million residents. And again, and I'm not knocking media sonar, but media sonar has given the LAPD a powerful tool that rivals their ability to invade privacy and violate First Amendment parameters, if not the spirit of the constitutional amendment. And it sounds like the NSA, CIA, or, and or the FBI. Now, we're going to wrap this up and we're going to come back with part two of this. But the contradiction of all of this spills over into the fact that there are no standards for the types of surveillance that can be conducted. I want to reiterate that. No standards. And if you watch Law and Order, my, my wife watches a lot of Law and Order. So do I. I admit it. Everybody knows you can't wiretap anybody and listen in on what they're doing, planning, saying, all of the above without a judge's signature. And you better have probable cause before the judge signs it or the judge isn't going to sign it. Media Sonar has given the LAPD the power to circumvent even that.
Imagine if the LAPD broadened that and started looking at executives at Apple that just happened to work in Los Angeles County. I will guarantee you they'd be upset. Why are you surveilling my internet digital footprint without my permission and without probable cause? Well, Media Sonar says we don't need probable cause. The LAPD, rather, is not in need of that. And here's the last thing, and we're going to close with this. We're going to close part one with this. Media Sonar has given the LAPD this power, and the LAPD has then in turn determined that they have the discretion. And again, when I say they, I'm meaning the officers, not their bosses, not the uh, lieutenants and the captains and the sergeants and the chief and the mayor and the county officials. I'm talking about officers. They have the discretion as to how long, how broad the search, how broad the surveillance is. They and they alone determine whom they're going to surveil. And it is at the complete discretion. All of the above is at the complete discretion of the person doing the surveilling. When we come back in part two, we're going to talk about the wide-ranging ramifications of this and how it is, in my opinion, the beginning of the end of First Amendment sanctuary. So just stay tuned. Part two is coming. As we do at the end of every episode on BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast, we do a Netflix pick for the entire week. And this week's Netflix pick is, from a historical perspective, I wholeheartedly recommend Blood Brothers, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali, which is from the book Blood Brothers, The Fatal Friendship Between Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. And that book is written by Purdue Professor Randy Roberts and Georgia Tech's Johnny Smith. This documentary on Netflix details the strength of one of the most charismatic leaders of our time and quite possibly the most polarizing civil rights leader of our time. This documentary further details how their relationship was formed and strengthened, then fractured and destroyed by forces who couldn't truly understand either man. Watch it. You'll love it. And I know I did. This has been BYOB. The Bring Your Own Brain Podcast with Tony Calloway. We're on five days a week, wherever you find your podcast. You can reach us via our Facebook page. So please, leave a comment, a review, a critique, a shout out. And if by chance there are topics you'd like to have discussed or questions you want referenced on a particular show, drop us an email to WKIR100 at gmail.com. That's WKIR100 for We Keep It Real and 100 at gmail.com. I'll see you next time.